because you're jumping back into the gap. All right, let's hey, go. Coach. Welcome to the Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. I appreciate you joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit basketballimmersion.com for more coaching resources and access to all the basketball podcasts. I hope you will give us a shout out on social media, on Twitter at Bball Immersion, or on Instagram at Basketball Immersion to help me continue to share the game. Enjoy the episode. Awesome to welcome Furman head coach Bob Ritchie to the podcast. During his time as head coach at Furman, Ritchie has guided the program to a 73-26 and 26 overall record and 41-13 mark in Southern Conference play. Furman have posted back-to-back 25-win seasons and claimed four straight 20-win seasons for the first time in school history. His 737 winning percentage ranks among, ninth among active Division I head coaches. Welcome to the podcast, Coach. Yeah, glad to be here, Chris. Appreciate you having me on. Uh, excited to talk to you. Uh, many mutual friends who speak so highly of you and everything you've done. And I've certainly watched your games and studied you guys. Coach, I want to start with a little bit of the philosophy and the culture, which I so, know is so important to you. And uh, can you just outline a little bit the further the man philosophy? Yeah, so, so our major belief here, Chris, is that, that we're going we're gonna to invest in people and, and we're going to value the person over the player. And if we do that at a high, high level, then the player is going to be basically a lagging production of us developing the person in the correct way and fashion. Because there's really like, we all got into this a long, long time ago before any of us were, were into this to develop character, right? To develop people, to bring in competition, to bring in teamwork, to bring in different values of perseverance and, you know, just, just all those things that we wanted to then translate into the rest of our life. And, you know, with the, with the, the, the status of it and with the pressures of it and the monetary value in our, in our system now, unfortunately, my personal view is we've lost sight of what we're really trying to do here. And, you know, we took this program over in a bad place. I think in 2014, we were 240 or sorry, 342 in the RPI when Coach Medved was here. And we had to sit around and figure out how are we going to turn this? And what, what are we going to do to create some type of uniqueness and a difference that will allow us to make a turn and get competitive? And it really was just to align with how can we develop people better, more efficient, and maybe even put more value in that than a lot of programs and see if that we could just develop at a faster rate, not just on the basketball court, um, but also off the court. And when I got the job, that's when we really created this systematic, you know, further the man program that teaches kids how to communicate, how to present, how to lead, how to serve, you know, and how to really just understand how does this connect to what's next. And so we don't get in this space where, okay, maybe we're not an NBA player. And then we've invested all this time into this. And then we have no life skills that we've been given and we have no preparation for what's next. And then we get uh, we get off to a slow start and then we're really not able to leverage this division one experience into what could be really for us. What we tell recruits is like this should be a life changing decision, like not if, you know, I've heard the whole four year, 40 year. If you come to Furman, we want this to change your life. And so how is this going to change your life? We're going to put you in a competitive basketball experience. We're going to we're going to continue to build this to be an elite mid-major program. We're going to put you on a beautiful campus with a high, high level degree in one of the fastest growing cities in the South. But at the same time, we're going to prepare you for four years so that when you get your opportunity and what's next, you're going to flourish. And, and so it's like today, right when I get off of here, we have basically a leadership expert coming in that was a senior partner 
at Erst and Young before he retired. Now he works for Battlefield Leadership, and he's going to come in and do some leadership training with our whole team, uh, take the life of Abe Lincoln, go through leadership parallels, different stories. Um, next week, we have uh, Christina Harrells coming in. She's the CEO of Jack Porter. She's a Furman. She went to Furman, played golf here. And she now basically does all like the major college renovations for athletic facilities. Um, we've had Paul Foster that's going to come. Well, he played at Furman. He owns Foster Victor Financial Wealth Firm. So they're going to get eight speakers this summer uh, that's going to really invest into them. And then, and then we're going to break that out in a year to, to basically we do the mentor program with that. But it's different than your traditional mentoring program. It's more um, basically a mentor has two players. They rotate them out. You know, they, they meet with each person once a quarter. It's lunch. It's coffee. It's organic. It's relationship developing. And, and so our aim is that regardless of what happens on a basketball front, that now since we've, been, since we've created this, it's pretty neat. So Jeff Beans was a senior my first year as head coach. He was the only college graduate hired by the biggest commercial real estate firm in Greenville that year because his, his mentor was the COO of the firm. Okay, so now Jeff Beans has signs all in the community of property he's selling and he's involved with. Uh, Andrew Brown, same thing, senior my second year. He's basically a financial advisor already in Greenville, went to Arizona to do the training. And all that got started through us putting this stuff in front of them in our further demand program. And as we build a program, which is which is getting a little bit short sighted in our industry right now. But as we as we try to build a full program here. My vision is that we have former players in the community that are around, that are hiring, right, that are also partnering with us. And that now this is this is like a, a full program that's built around the community inside out. And we continue to add to it every year. Oh, that's awesome. It's great to hear this future employability piece is so important. And that's really ultimately our job is to put them in a better situation for their lives. And I love the other part of this is that you're basically phrasing the player development or the team development part as a byproduct of developing good people. And I I love that connection. That's right. Because look, if you're going to develop at a fast rate, like it's still going to come down to perseverance, work ethic, right? How how much can you focus? How can you eliminate distraction? How much are you willing to sacrifice? Okay, we can keep going, right? Like, though, it's not like we've, we've unfortunately turned this idea of development into what's the perfect drill? What's the perfect instructor? Okay. Like that stuff doesn't matter. Okay. Like what matters is, can you, can you go in there with unbelievable focus and intentionality and deliberateness and discipline, right? Which all those characteristics are going to be part of the personal development. And so that's, that's what we really try to chase. Like, can we, and we develop winners, you know, and like not crossovers, not, not, you know, and, that, and that's all part of it. But like we're trying to develop a winning mentality, right? A winning culture, a winning program. And then through that, I believe, OK, and this is just one of one thing I process in my mind. I think all results are just a beautiful lagging measure of your processes. And so I think it's the same thing in development, right? Like we get so frustrated with results, but we, we're afraid sometimes to analyze the process, what's in the process what is a part of the process and then adjust and change it. And then, and then our, our industry is currently uh, ever evolving, right? With 1800 transfers and we've yet to sit down and ask, how does this factor into the development process? Because to me, development is time, intensity of focus. And now all of a sudden this time component of this is getting cut down. How does this defect development? Can we really claim development? 
that's a whole nother discussion, but it's something that as, as coaches and leaders of our game, right. We have to understand that, you know, that, that, that piece of it could be a little bit dangerous. Well, and you speak to the importance of learning from business and learning from business leaders. And uh, this speaks to that, right. That businesses are always changing and evolving as the world changes. And as coaches, we have to adapt to this new circumstance of players having more power to make their decisions that they want to make for the betterment of their lives. So this is not a bad thing. It's just something that we have to adjust to, right? That's right. It's, it's not, it's not a bad thing. It's just at the end of the day, I've got to give them, I've got to give them something that's going to make them want to stay. Mm-hmm. Okay? And that's, that's the unique piece is, am I, am I giving them, am I giving them value in their life that they will be, a little bit, not necessarily the word afraid, but will it be unique and different enough to say, I probably won't get this if I leave here. And I know on the front end what I'm already, what I'm already giving up. Okay. Like I already know, you know, yes, we're not going to go charter airplanes to all our games, right? Like every one of our games is not going to be on national TV. Now we had, we had three on linear ESPN this year, which is the most we've ever had here. And I think we're going to continue to grow that, but it's not 31 of them. And I know that. So we know some of the areas where we're going to come in trailing. So now we have to look at the other side of it and figure out, okay, can, can, we, can we invest in the person better than anybody in the country? And that's, that's usually what our aim is, right? That can, and, and now, if you make that decision, you're, there's some things you have to give up. And there's some things that you have to stay true to because you have to stick to that identity. And it can be a little bit uncomfortable because it's a lot more comfortable to replicate, right? It's a lot more, there's comfort in replicating what everybody else is doing. There's discomfort in going out and saying, we're going to be unique and different. And this is who we are. But I think at the end of the day, that's what allows you to be successful. It's not the replication. It's, it's really the development of your identity and sticking to it. Well, I love that approach and approaching it from the FOMO perspective that, you know, the fear of missing out, like if you go somewhere else, you're going to miss out on all the things that you could achieve over your time here on and off the court. And I love that approach. Yeah. And that's, I just, you know, we got to be different and that's Furman. We always say that to recruits, we are different and we pride ourselves in that. We want to be different because I, I, I'm afraid that if we do replicate, you know, there's just, there's, there's not going to be as much, you're not going to be able to move the needle as quick because you're going to be the same as everybody else. And so, you know, this, even, even in the world right now, name, image, and likeness, you know, I'm all for having, having forward thinking and figuring out how do we help the student athlete as best we can. You know, but at the same time, I don't want it to be so short-sighted that we're looking for five to $10,000 contracts in a four-year span where we can be looking to leverage this in the Furman Network in a way where we can go win championships, but at the same time, put you in a situation where in 15, 20 years, you can be making, you know, you could be making millions of dollars, right? Like, there's, and, and, and you don't want to be, you don't want to be just fixated on what's the monetary value of all this, but that is a little bit where some of this is going and you've got to be able to show your value. And so, we want to just like, you know, we talk about it all the time, right? The eighth one of the world is what, right? It's compounding interest. So it's the same thing in development that, yes, we want to, we want to figure out how to utilize and leverage what name image and likeness is going to do. But we also don't want to lose the long game in this, right? We want to be long-term greedy and we want to make sure that we're setting ourselves up to change our life. And I think that as we put our program together, that's what we're constantly trying to figure out. Well, it's fun to talk about. And uh, I know a lot of coaches, uh, when I prepared for this, I reached out. They all want to ask me about the porch and RPOs and all the technical, tactical. And we're going to get to that. But I want to dive a little deeper with some of this stuff because I think you have some great phrasing. And I want to throw some of your phrasing at you and just get you to kind of expand on it. 
one of the things I love that you said is decision-making will overwhelm you without an identity as a program. Yeah, I think identity is your filtration. I think, um, you know, we hear this word culture a lot and, and, I, and I'm a bit, I love culture. I think it's very important. I think in coaching, we've, we've, we've gotten away from it and we think it's some cliche bad word. Unfortunately, it's to me, my opinion, also backed by most business literature, you'll see, we just have a misunderstanding of culture. And culture is usually in the business world, it's going to be measured by retention. Okay. Like, well, in our game, we have a 25% rollover every year, just on the four-year model of seniors. Now you add in the transfer and you add in basically 1800 right now, 300 and some schools, you got to average of six transfers a year, plus your seniors. Like this idea of stabilizing culture is going to be really difficult, but can you stabilize identity? But the trick is with identity, identity is uncomfortable, like we just talked about, because now I can't get on Twitter and figure out what everybody else is doing. I can't read a book and go replicate that. I have to, I have to literally figure out who we are, how can we win where we're at, okay? And you have to be convicted in that. And then once you do that, you set those boundaries. And once you set those boundaries, when you get new information, when you get new ideas, you filter that through your identity. Now, for us, we always want to be able to adapt but we never want to full sale change, right? Like this is, this is what's working, but we also don't want to be, I'm also don't really sign up for like, this is the Furman way, okay? Because I want to have the flexibility. I don't want to be Nokia, right? We all had, when, I, when we first got cell phones, when I was in high school, I mean, it was the Nokia sugar bowl. Well now, like, we don't even know, we don't even know like Blackberry, right? Blackberry is like, another example, yeah. Well, this is, this is the Blackberry way. Like nobody's ever going to go to a touchscreen. Everybody's going to use a keypad. Well, you know, that that's that you don't want to be in that. Right. But at the same time, you, you want to make sure as you're adapting, you're still sticking to an identity. And it's the same thing. If you look, if you go back to the iPhone, you know, everybody says, well, Steve Jobs. Well, if you go back and read about it, Steve Jobs was reluctant to the iPhone at first because he said, why would we bring in something into the market that is going to compete against the iPod and the iPad? And he was worried about identity and what they were able to convince him of is, look, this is actually going to augment this. This is going to this is going to be something that pulls it all together and connects it all. They're not going to be competing against each other. This is this is just adapting to our identity. And so then he signed off on it, right? But when you look at those two stories and you compare them, that hey, here's BlackBerry. We're never going away from the keyboard because this is who we are, and we don't change. This is the BlackBerry way. Versus, okay, I'm not sure about this iPhone because it's not really who we are. Now you have to convince me that if we adapt to this. And so that's where we try to lie, right? We try to lie in this, in this area. of We think that we have a way that works at Furman. We feel like we have a way that, we, that we're convicted in, but we want to stick to that identity. We want to adapt around the edges as we're changing, but we want to be able to say no to a lot of things that are just clear. They work for other people, okay? But they're not going to work here because this is just where we're different. Well, I love the flexibility that you build into that as well, which is so important. And it leads to another statement that you made, which is values are not values until they are tested, which is so true. Yeah, we're going through facility uh, renovations right now. Furman's really making a, a bigger commitment to the program, and it's a lot of fun to go through it. We're, we're almost tripling the size of our office space and almost doubling the size of our locker room space. And, you know, they're, they're, they're doing a lot of neat things. So you're having to work with these design people. And it's really interesting. I was actually on a call with them before I jumped on with you. And they, they, they all, as they go through it, right, they want words and they want. And so what I'm telling them is I'm willing to give you some of our words, right? 
But at the end of the day for us, I want a lot of pictures to illustrate. I want story because I don't, I don't want to get in this idea of t-shirts and words and phraseology. And then, and then we're not true to it to a point where when it's actually tested, right. And now all of a sudden, okay, if they don't, if that's our value, okay. If for us, if ball movements of value and in terms of how we play the game, if we think that's what wins at Furman, what are we doing with the person that refuses to move the ball? Right. But that has the ability to go get 20 points a game. Well, that's when that value is tested. Okay. So we can sit here and say we're all about ball movement. But if we do, if we do bend for the guy that we said, hey, he can go out and do it different, well, then we have to understand that's not really a value. That that is that is what you call a preference. Okay. That that is something that, and there's there's a difference between your preferences and your value. Your values should never bend. Your values are what you stand on. Those, those are your truth moments. Those are that's that, those are your foundational pieces that, hey, if if we crack in this foundation, we're done. Okay. Now, as you build the house, your, your paint colors and all that, yeah, that's fine. Like you can change those out. But I think as coaches, we have to decide as we build program, what are values, what are foundational elements, and then what are preferences, right? What I do in the porch, that's going to be a preference, right? What, what I, how I position our players and the schemes I run, those are going to be preferences. How I see the game of basketball played and the connection and the synergy and, and how I think that five people have to work together in this game, in my personal opinion. That's a that's a value for our program. And so, you know, the way we work, you know, being deliberate and having an urgency to it now, you know, having a more of a, you know, what we call a better together mentality of a oneness about what we do. Well, those are values, right? That those are those are things that we feel like if we get away from operating with a oneness on all sides of the ball, right? And everything that we do as a staff, then we're going to start to pay the price for that. And so, you know, being able to sort through all that and then look, I mean, it happened my first year. I got tested in a value and I had to make a decision and it was really uncomfortable and it was really, really hard. And, and I can't sit here and tell you and tell you, Chris, I handled it exactly how I should have. There's some things where I look back and I, I think, okay, the decision was correct. I wish, I wish had, I, had I been doing it for three, four, five years, how I handled that decision. I think I, there would have been a little bit more delicacy to it. I would have still gotten to the same endpoint. I probably actually would have gotten to that endpoint sooner and would have, would have saved um, what ended up being like a, a, just a, you know, a lot of force in one moment on a decision, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, but I had to get there because it was a value was being tested and I had to make sure that our program at that time as a first year coach, that our whole program could see, this is what our program stands on. And if anybody's going to go against this, it doesn't matter who you are. We, we have to hold the line here. And, um, those are probably some of the hardest moments in coaching. Hey, Coach, brief interruption from the podcast. Have you heard of Spotify Greenroom? Spotify Greenroom is a free audio-only social media platform for sports fans. Start enjoying ongoing conversations, watch games together, react to the biggest news, rumors, and games. Talk with other sports fans, insiders, athletes, and executives in real time. I host a room every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Come through and talk with me live. All you need to do is download the Spotify Greenroom app free in the iOS or Android app store. Create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the conversation. Follow me at B-Ball Immersion on Twitter to be notified when my room goes live. Hey, Coach, I really appreciate you listening to the Basketball Podcast, and I hope you will consider supporting it and your coaching even more as the countdown is over. It's here. It's live. It's been years in the making. We have launched our newly redesigned website at basketballimmersion.com. Basketball Immersion is an effective player development tool because we focus on coach development. 
Since we know the greatest player development is coach development, we support and stimulate change in you as a coach. Now is the time to immerse yourself in learning. In our community, we'll show you how to get specific outcomes using comprehensive video and course-based learning, as well as community interaction and expert sharing in our master classes. You will get specific outcomes to stimulate, add to, make over, or improve your coaching. Join our community today at basketballimmersion.com and learn what is possible. Well, I love that this connects for me to that's what we worked on, right? The value becomes a value when you can come back to your player and say, hey, that's what we worked on. And look, now it's helping you. And that's connecting it for them to actually something beyond, as you said, just the slogan or these words. Correct. Yeah. When they can, you know, it's um, when they can feel it, when they can, you know, them, them feeling a decision, the implications of decision and experience based on a decision is a lot better than what you can give them on a T-shirt or a wall slogan. And, and that's when it really gets life to it. Right. That's when you're you know, we always say we want our phrases to have a pulse. And so we want our phraseology, whatever it is, like we want it to have pulse. And as soon as the, as soon as those players see that, hey, they have these phrases, but the staff doesn't really enforce these phrases, like you might as well just take all that out. But you could have no T-shirts and no slogans, but if you say it and you do it and they see it and they feel it and they feel the implications and not just the bad, not just the consequences, but also the wins and the rewards of it, then all of a sudden I think that has life and you start to get the sayings of players saying, this is who we are. And I think that's when it becomes real. When you're, when you go to your players in our senior exit interviews, I always sit down with our seniors and I say, tell me, you know, who are we? Right. Like, and I, and, and, and when you listen to a player being able to say that after four years of being here, like hopefully it's, it's those values. Right. And now they take those in the rest of their life. And I think that's when we can get some greater purpose in what we do. Some stood out, like as I, you were talking about this, like it connects to me to what you talk about with cutting in your offense, that cutting is sacrificial, right? To, to, to a certain extent, a, a value within your program is that you're going to sacrifice yourself for a teammate and cutting reflects that when you talk about the different ways that you cut and everything with that. Is that on point? A hundred percent. Like one, one thing you, you might have heard me say before, like we want our culture to be visible in how we play. And I think it's we don't want to contradict this idea of together and team, what we feel like is going to work when you leave here. And then all of a sudden have a style of play that doesn't really illustrate that and where you can't see and feel that cutting is a beautiful element to the game of basketball. I think it's really I don't think cutting's cool. We say we say that a lot. Like right now we have four freshmen and we're trying to convince them to cut. We're having to be really delicate and patient with it. They're going to get there. But it's not it's not what we all want to do, because usually with a great cut, you're giving up the opportunity to run to the ball, come to the ball, get a ball screen, put yourself in an isolated situation. And what you're doing is you're drawing defenders, you know, and if you don't draw defenders, then you're going to get the easiest shot you got all night, which is an unaffected layup. But there's there's a couple of things that, that we've you know, one is we want to cut to score twice. And the idea that we've got to cut hard to the net for the first score and then we got to cut hard to the perimeter for the second score. That second cut is really hard, okay, because there's nothing attractive to that cut to get back out to the perimeter. But that thinking of I'm cutting the score twice. And then and if you go back and you watch our game at Loyola, my second year, we won on a back cut dunk at the buzzer right after their final four run. You'll see it. Noah Gurley was the first cutter, and he cuts the score twice. And had he not, had he not had a little bit of urgency in that second cut, 
his defender would have rotated and gotten to the rim to affect that layup. But that second cut, okay, he pulls that defender out just enough. Clay cuts just behind it. We hit him. We dunk it with a second to go, and we win a phenomenal game. And, and, and we celebrate that, right? When we go and watch that clip, we're going we're gonna to celebrate Noah's second cut just as much as we're going to celebrate Clay's dunk. And I think that's where, again, where your players start to see, okay, this has value. I think, I think it's also the idea of, you know, hit the cutter, throw behind the cutter. You're opening up a guy behind. Are you willing to do that, right? Like, are you willing to pull a defender in so that your teammate behind you can get a great shot? And then when you're the guy behind, you're going to expect that guy to cut in front of you as hard as he can, right? And so I, I love college football. Steve Spurrier is one of my favorites, and uh, partly because I grew up in Columbia. I watched Lou Holtz change that program when I was a kid, and I watched you know Steve Spurrier come in and do what he did. And um, I, I remember he said this at one of his Florida clinics. You know, I found this YouTube clip back, and maybe it was in his book. I can't remember, but he said they, they asked him. They said, you know, back when the fun and gun was going at Florida, and how how do you do it? And he and he basically just looked at him. He said, hey, at the end of the day, I have to get five guys that when they go and they run routes, that all those routes are real. And they think they're scoring on all five of those routes. And we, we run real routes every time. And we try to convince our players of that. And, and we do it because, hey, it's going to help us score 80 points a night. But at the end of the day, too, here's the character in this. And I think that's really, really important. And the cutting part, just because we're on it, uh, some of them are scripts and some of them are decisions and some of them are automatics, right? And That's an correct. example would be on a pick and pop, the 45 player on a two side has to cut great space. Yes. Yes. And, and we've adapted to there a little bit. My first year, there weren't many people doing that. And so every pop we cut behind because nobody was doing it and we did it. We, we would even do it on a step up. We would, we would cut behind on the top of the key and we would get that a lot. Well, now the game's evolved and more people are doing this. So we've, we've had to adjust there because we people aren't stunning as much off that 45 guy now. So, you know, three, four years ago, when you throw the pass to the top of the key and that guy pops, we're all teaching the auto stunt. And so our terminology was burn the stunt. Okay. So as soon as it doesn't matter when the ball gets there, it only matters when the guy stunts. So when the guy stunts, as soon as he stunts, right, everything has an equal and opposite reaction. When he stunts, we want to go against that stunt and we want to burn behind it, pull in the back defender, and then we'll hit the cutter, throw behind the cutter. Well, now all of a sudden people are holding it. So we're giving that guy on the 45 now the option that if they're going to sit in the gap, then we can stay wide and now we can dribble at that defender and then now we can hand cut, back cut that. And so what we're finding now is we're getting some pretty good action on the hand cut behind if the defender sloughs it to say, hey, I don't want to give up the back cut. Well, now we just dribble in front of that guy. And so we've even made that a little bit more of an auto read. But if anybody does stunt, it's a non-negotiable. As soon as there's a stunt, we want to get behind that as quick as we can. I love it. And I feel like I can explain basketball with Newton's third law as well in terms of the action-reaction part. Like almost everything I fundamentally teach in basketball is related to that law. So I love how you applied it there as well, uh, just geeking out a little bit on physics. Yeah, we, we talk about I was actually with two of my freshmen at breakfast this morning. We were talking about science there. They just took a physics class, and I said, that's actually going to be the one most applicable to what we do out here on the basketball court. They started looking at me like, coach, what are you talking about? <laughs> I said, well, I said, you know how yesterday we were working on that snake cut to the net and I was on you guys to make sure we lift out of the corner. Well, that's equal and opposite reaction, right? Like we, we got it. And, and so it's funny, like you just, you, you find those little, those little moments where you can kind of correlate their education, what we do out here. But 
yeah, that's um, that's the academic side of me. Sorry to get off on that. I love the academic side, coach. You know that. And uh, if you start whipping out fulcrum to them, I want to see their reaction. <laughs> um, coach, another thing that I love that you've said is there's nothing less energizing than limiting beliefs. Yeah, I think, you know, that's that's a big thing. And I, I know we actually talked about this at our team meeting Sunday night. I, I think, you know, the, the, the Hawks, I thought it was a great story. You know, you see belief and you see the shirts and the banners. I think it's also one of those side conversations for another day. You know, if, if we all say it's about the Jimmys and the Joes and it's really all it is is to release the responsibility off of us. Well, if, if that's the case, then, and, and I don't know anybody that coaches for the Hawks. I don't have any, I don't, I don't know any of their staff, but I'm just looking at it from just an observer standpoint. Clearly Nate McMillan had some impact, right? It changed, right? And, and their energy changed, their belief changed. Now, I also don't think belief is this idea that we're starting to buy into where it's just if you think right and you believe right, things are going to work out. I think belief is earned. And, and I think that there's certain things that get to a point of true belief and, and not this pseudo belief that am I telling myself the right things? Am I visualizing? Am I going to magically make this happen because I'm controlling my thought? Well, not if you haven't worked on it at a high level. Okay, Not if you haven't been deliberate in your preparation to a point where you've earned this idea to go in and believe, right? You watched that fight the other night. I was on the road recruiting and those guys were walking in the arena and you could just see their walk, right? You could feel their belief, right? You don't get in that arena unless you have real belief. Well, you go back and you study it, look at the diet, right? Look at the kale they're eating in the morning. Look at the two-a-days they're going through. Look at the preparation of how they're wrestling and what they're putting into it. Well, they're earning all that belief that when they step in that ring, that this isn't just some like mystical, oh man, well, I believe more than you do. So this thing's going to work out. So I'm a huge believer in belief. I don't think you're ever going to exceed your own expectations of yourself. And I think it's critical when you're going into competition that you can walk out there in a place of peace and you can say, hey, let's go play because everything we've done before that. And so I think when you look back at it, you know, my career, it's funny. I always say, you know, the Lord's God's got a good sense of humor for all of us, right? Like you, he puts you different paths of life and you, you don't really get why you're going through it. But when I was an assistant for what, 14, 15 years, uh, no, it wasn't that long. I'm sorry. Five at Charleston Southern, six at Furman. So 11 years, I was able to experience two winning seasons, but I was able to be a part of two programs that were trajecting on the way up and went from two low points to two higher points to where they were both competing for championships. And I was able to see that and learn from the losing and learn what to be convicted in and what mattered. And I always thought like belief is critical in this equation. And now the, the question that I spend a lot of time on as a coach, how do we get to that point, right? How do we, how do we actually feel real belief? And that's what we spend a lot of our time on instead of really, you know, getting in, getting in a room. And, you know, I don't think those guys the other night before the fight had some, had some person in the, in the closet saying, hey, now you, you, you're thinking right, right? Like you're, you're telling yourself the right things. I think that was well-earned right before that. And, um, but yeah, I also think that like, if you really listen for it, the energy that can be brought when you have people in the room that say, hey, we can't do it, okay, or, or we're not going to be able to do that here, or that's never been done here before, like that, that, that rings no tone to me. You know, like that, that's so, all we're doing is like literally holding ourselves back of everything we're trying to accomplish. So in our new facility, we're going to have a wall up. It's a first time wall, right? It's, this is everything that's been done here for the first time. And then we're going to have a space that's empty about what's next, 
right? And, and keeping that belief that like, we're just getting started and the best is yet to come in terms of what we're doing here and how we're doing it. But I think a lot of that is, can you convince a group that, yeah, like, like this, we're, we're continuing to move forward in this journey. Why can't we? And, you know, going, I already referenced it once and I'm not, I'm not doing this to say, hey, we've got this thing figured out. But if you look at our starting point, you know, at, at 342 in RPI, I think in the analytical era in Ken Palm, we have been a mean since 1997 of a 242 finish. Okay, so that's, that's the average since 1997 at Furman, 242. That's with the last four years being the only four years inside the top 100. Okay, so we've obviously helped that 242 a little bit. But if you just take over Furman and you just say, hey, you know what, this is 250. You know, that's, that's the mean. Well, then you can't expect to get anything done. You know, like my AD comes down from Villanova and he says, hey, let's play downtown. It's 14,000. Well, most people say, well, that's too many people. You know, well, what if we can get to a point we play three games and then we play four and then we play five. And then all of a sudden, what if we have 10,000 people in there and we're playing an SEC team? Like, why can't we have that vision? I think people are going to come to work a lot more to hear about that than they are to hear about, well, I don't know. Like, we probably need to stay in the smaller gym because this is just what's comfortable. And um, I don't think belief and comfort really have a whole lot of relationship to each other. I, I think that if you do have strong belief and you do have conviction, you're going to constantly be pushing the envelope to do things that have never been done before. And that's, that's what energizes me on a daily basis. I, I think I'm having flashbacks to every conversation I ever had with an administrator based on <laughs> mostly not good, mostly saying exactly what you said, limiting belief rather than, well, what if we did do this? So I love right. that belief is earned and basically again, manifest and do the work and do the work. And I love that. Uh, programs cannot grow without the presence of truth. So true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and again, I know I'm getting on a couple of my little soapboxes here, but Okay, you know, coach, that's what we want. It's, um, you know, truth. I tell our team a lot. The greatest gift I can give you is the truth. Now, I think here's the fundamental mistake, in my opinion. Of course, all this is my opinion. But I think sometimes we let ourselves off the hook, too, when we say, hey, you know what? I just gave those guys the truth. And I don't know if he can handle it. Well, I think there's a rub there, too, of like, yes, they need the truth. But I also have to create as the leader, okay, as the superior here, I've got, I've got to invest in making sure this truth is received because me delivering truth in a manner that's not received at the end of the day, it does no good, right? So the only hope I have to, to adjust, change, reroute behavior to get a better response is if I can deliver truth in a median that is received well to, at that point, force a response. Because everything I do as a coach comes down to a response. So the coaches that walk and say, well, I, yeah, yeah, I hit them with truth. And it's like this force that like this picture that like we just knocked them down. Well, no, actually, I want them to get up and I want them to rise up and I want them to get better. But I, I have to use truth to do that. So there's two things that we say a lot. OK, deep care, high standard. We never want one without the other. We want those two to run at the same time. If it's only deep care, I'm afraid that we'll have a little bit of a counselor type culture where it is. I don't want to use the word soft, but it, it, there's too much into our feelings and not understanding that there is still a production measure in what we do. OK, if it's just high standard, this thing can get a little bit militant. The transactional piece of it, as opposed to the transformational piece, can start to kind of rule. We can still win with that. There's, there's plenty of people that win of just having 
the highest standard and you either hit it or you don't. And if you don't, you're out. If you do, you stay. But to me, I, I want those two, I want those rails, just like a railroad track. I want both of them to run, right? And I want that deep care. I want to have a highly relational program. I want to have a highly relational staff. But at the same time, like we're not substituting this for, for our standard, okay? We're not coming in and saying, well, we care so much about them. We'll, we'll let them slide here, here, and here. I was walking with one of our freshmen. I've gotten into walking and, you know, that's one thing the pandemic did. You know, I've, I've recruiting calls. I'll grab a player. I'll grab a staff. Um, I think one time in June, I, I walked 10 miles with our staff one day, just grabbing certain guys and just, you know, just going through different things. But I grabbed one of our freshmen one day. I said, hey, let's go on a walk. And, he, and I said, I said How, how's it going? He looked at me and goes, coach, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. And I looked at him. I said, that's exactly what I want. Okay, because that's what's going to build you into a champion. That's what's going to get you where you want to go. But at the same time, I want you to feel like you have the best support system around you that you've ever had. And he looked at me and he said, Coach, I do. Like, like I know you guys really care for us. I feel it. I understand it. But at the same time, like, Coach, this, this is tough. And so that's a that's little bit how we try to operate there. And I think, I think that that relational piece, and, and this is the last thing I'll say about that, I think the relational piece is essential to the truth piece, right? Like without the relational piece, I don't think the truth is going to be received. You know, we can say, well, this generation, it's probably always been like that. You know, I think that's a little bit how we're all wired, right? Like if I trust somebody that has the best interests of me and I know that I'm going to listen better. Okay. If I think that they don't, they don't have my interest at heart or they have self-interest at heart, then I'm going to, I'm going to be a little bit guarded against that. And so, I think the, the relationship allows us to give them the truth in a way that it can be received. If they can receive the truth, then now all of a sudden we can operate in that, in that moment of like, hey, I really do care for you. And that's why I'm telling you this. Uh, great stuff. Love hearing this and love hearing how this program has been shaped by all these different things that you've talked about already. And getting into the game a little bit, you already mentioned this. So just expand on it a little bit and we'll get into some specific pieces. You talked about how basketball is a game of connection. Yeah, I do. I do think that. I mean, I think that, you know, it's five guys with one ball, right, from a very elementary view of it. And so how are we going to manipulate this ball in this court in a fashion where we can work together to get us the best shot that we can get? And then how can we help each other get that shot as opposed to I don't I just listen, I know it works for people. I'm not saying it doesn't. You know, I just don't think the mentality walking onto the court, if I get 20, we're going to win the night. I, I just, I just try to, I try to stay away from that the best I can. You know, when we won at Villanova two years ago, we didn't shoot 60%. Okay. We, we shot, I think low forties. We had five guys in double figures. We didn't have a guy go for 40. Uh, we didn't have a guy. I don't know if we had a guy hit 20 that night, but it was, it was together. And, and we had no choice. We're not beating those guys head on. We're not going up to Villanova and going in ISOs and one-on-one game. Like we have to, we have to have a dependence on one another that, that brings the sum of its parts to a greater, to a greater number than what the individuals of five could do. And so I want to make sure we play like that. I'll tell you this, Chris, it's, it's never been harder to get people to do it. Um, it's, it's something where we have to constantly daily, I daily reinforce it. And, and we're having to not only, not only have to deal with it with our players, but also the support around the players, you know, just because that's what they're seeing. That's what's glorified on social media. Um, right now, I'm going to AAU games. 
I don't know if some of these kids know if they're winning or losing or not. You know, it's just how many points did I have and then how many offers did I get? And then let's go to the next. And I get the necessity of all that, the concentration of talent to be able to evaluate in a group setting. But it does scare me in a little bit that, you know, I think I think winning, I've said this a little bit lately. I think I think the 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 obsession of attention versus obsession of winning, I, th- I think there's a little bit of 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 a discorrelation there, you know, like what are we really aiming for? You know, and and so I want a group that wants to win I, and not just so that we can win here, but the, so they, th- this world's competitive. I mean, right. Like if, if you don't produce your best work, right. Somebody else is going to, if I don't produce my best work, somebody else is going to. So I, I have to teach these players that like production matters, but at the same time, how much more can we produce together? And then now if we produce together at a better rate than we could individually, where do we all get to go? And then how does that all help us in the end game? And it, it's a little bit of a paradox. And, um, we, we have to weekly, if not daily, hit that. Yeah, it's such a deeper conversation, which we won't get into, but it is it is so true. And the kids are just doing what they should be doing, which is the byproduct is the scholarship. The byproduct is getting to where they want to go. And too often we blame the kids. But as we know, us as adults, we created the system and Absolutely. they're just gaming the system in that way. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Yeah. We, um, we're all saying how bad the transfer situation is. but. Um, we're all everybody, a lot of people out there looking for them. So it's, it's, uh, it's all, this whole thing is still supply and demand. Like it, it's still, you know, if, if, if demand weren't so high, I promise you supply wouldn't be so high, you know, and that's just how this thing works. And so, you know, again, whole nother conversation, but um, you know, so when you watch this, it's, it's the simple piece of, okay, do I want to be the guy that's a stationary defender that's got his chest on the ball already? Okay, or do I want to create an opportunity to throw it to a guy that forces a closeout? Which of those two is going to give us the best chance to get an advantage? Well, we know the answer to that. The answer is the closeout, right? One of the hardest things to do in the game of basketball is to close out a very good player. And so now I have to get these players to understand, well, the only way we're getting a closeout is if you individually have a really good drive that forces a second defender to come into that space. And then now you did your job. And we're going to beat one, but not two. Can we get that ball out and now put our team in a situation where we can keep the advantage? And so it's, yes, there's an individual component of this, okay? We can't just go pass the ball around and play passing game and think this thing's going to work out. Individually, you need to make plays, but they need to be made for the greater good. And if we see an opportunity that's created, that now with this ball movement, okay, what is this closeout going to put us into as a team? And then now can we get on a five on four, which is what we're all trying to get to. Can we play the four on three? Can we do it well and in a connected fashion? And I'll tell you what, like you've, you've been there. Like we all know those possessions of what it feels like. We all love them. I mean, everybody's tweeting out the Phoenix Suns clip, right? But when we go to practice the next day, are we really getting our players to do it? And, you know, it's, it's I think, again, going back to like a values of value only until it's tested, like it, it to me, I want, I want our players to understand this is what we want to look like. This is, these are the concepts we're going to run. We're trying to get the best shot we can get for us, and it's dependent on our individual plays working together. And if we can do that, usually, usually we have good nights. Hey, Coach. Brief interruption from the podcast. Have you heard of Spotify Greenroom? Spotify Greenroom is a free audio-only social media platform for sports fans. Start a joint ongoing conversations, watch games together, react to the biggest news, rumors, and games. 
Talk with other sports fans, insiders, athletes, and executives in real time. I host a room every Tuesday at 9 p.m. Come through and talk with me live. All you need to do is download the Spotify Green Room app free in the iOS or Android app store. Create a profile, link your Twitter, and join the conversation. Follow me at B-Ball Immersion on Twitter to be notified when my room goes live. Coach, we appreciate your support of our sponsors that help make the basketball podcast available to you. Kansas City Steak Company wants to make this your best grilling season ever. Visit KansasCitySteaks.com and get 15% off your order and free shipping with code SD. Kansas City Steaks has everything you need to fire up the grill. Enjoy their butter tender, filet mignon, hearty Kansas City strip steaks, and savory ribeyes. It's been a hard year, so enjoy being together again by bringing the steakhouse to your house with Kansas City Steaks. Go to KansasCitySteaks.com and get 15% off your order and free shipping with code SD at checkout. That's KansasCitySteaks.com, code SD. So diving a little deeper then, we had a personal conversation. And what struck me a little bit about that when we talked before was that my interpretation of what you guys do is you're structured to unstructured, which is what I've phrased before. And I think you use the term that you're conceptual by nature, and then you're working on bridging those gaps to make it seamless. Can you explain that to us, that, especially that process about how you try and bring it seamlessly together, all these concepts? Yeah, so for, for me... And again, a lot of this is the basketball side of it. A lot of this is, you know, preferential. I love the creativity of the game. And I, I love to go to practice and to go to games and to be surprised by action and, and to be on to watch film after the game and say, man, look at what we did here. Like, look at this read. I enjoy that a lot more than saying, hey, we found this ATO and we ran it and look, we got this shot off of it. I, I like to sit there and watch the game and be like, man, what a, what a read. And like, like going back to that Loyola clip, like that was, we called the play call and we had a slip play on and we missed it. And then we played concept and we wanted the buzzer. And, and so you're, I mean, I, I didn't know it was coming. It was an RPO right there. Fortunately they switched it. They switched the guard onto our five, at the top of the key. We burned the 45. Okay. And we burned it through and we had the second cutter coming out of the corner and they got, they came up and tried to jump it and we back cut. And since Matt had a guard on him, he threw right over the top of him and we dunked it and we went and celebrated. Well, that's a whole lot more energizing to say, Hey, look how these concepts work as opposed to man, we drew some great play up. And so now the other piece of that is it's really hard uh, to do what you just asked me. And so when you come, like if you came and watched us, the assistants that I've hired when I, when they get here, I'm like, well, what's, what's the, what's the big difference? You know, tell me, he's like, and, and two, both of them, a couple of them told me this are like, like, Bob, we, we play all the time. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I want to practice the game. I don't want to practice a drill. I want to practice a game because you know, and again, I'm not trying to say, Hey, we've got like, it's a five on five game. I want to encourage decision-making. I want to put kids in decisions and players in, in, in positions where they get to make decisions and then let's let the defense tell us what they're going to do. And then we have built in counters around all this stuff and we know what to get to. And then we're just going to keep the game playing how we get there. It can be a little bit of you have to have an element of patience to it. So when we get here in the summer in June, we're going to put in our transition game and then we're going to put in all our box screen concept and we're going to put in like one a day. So transition is going to go first. Hey, here's, here's how we're running a transition. Here's our playoff penetration. 
the ball's here, we're going to get here, all the stuff people do. Okay, a couple days of that. All right, here's a ball screen. Okay, well, here's another type of ball screen. Okay, well, here's an RPO. Okay, well, if this RPO happens, you cut here. And then what we try to convince them is where's the ball, where's the five, figure it out and just get to the next concept. Like it doesn't have to be the right answer. Just pick an answer, make the defense guard it, and then let this ball move. And then let's see what that produces. And so what happens is what you're doing is you're just bridging concepts. Now, then when we get to July, then I start to put our flow in. So transition, ball screen concepts, some reason we get stood up, okay? The ball stops, right? Well, are we just going to take those last 15 seconds and just try to throw it around and see if we can get a drive and create another advantage? For us, we're going to go into our flow, which is a different flow. Most flows are patterned. Our flow is still decision-based. And so we just started putting our flow in this month and our freshmen are like, coach, what is going on? <laughs> but what happens is, is the only way we break it down in skill, a lot of one, one, one man stuff, two man stuff, a lot of three on oh stuff. And then, and then Chris, we get to five on five. Like we just get to it. We just like, as soon as we can. And then, and then they're watching the film, they're watching the breakdowns, but they got to figure out where all these defenders are. And, you know, my assistants will argue and say, Hey, what if we do it three on three? You know, what if we do it for him? Well, what about this fifth defender? Well, if we have a fifth one here, he's going to be covering the net. Well, right here, if we take him off, he's not covering the net. So we're going to get that layup. And so we play a ton. Um, but it is, you know, I, I'm, I'm struggling to paint this picture in a, and I hope I'm, I hope I'm doing this right without being able to kind of, you no, know, painting it, coach. They're learning from the mess. Yeah, it, it's exactly. It's really messy when you first put it in and, and you have to have an element of don't stop it. Okay. Have patience, you know, watch it, pick out certain things that you feel like need to be addressed, but don't address everything. Right. Because what I don't want my players doing is coming up to me saying, Hey, did I do the right thing? Okay. Did you make a play that's inside a concept that we worked on? Yes. Perfect. You did the right thing. I care less. Like, yes. Can we sit here on the, on the freeze frame and say, well, maybe you should have done this, but I would rather, right. I would rather the speed be faster and the tempo be faster then it's to slow down to find the perfect answer. And to get there, I'm going to tell you, I mean, we use the summer for a lot of our offense. Um, and then we even, we even use September and October. Now where we're a little different is we still try to guard you. I mean, we're going to, we're going to have, we're going to come in and, and we're still, you know, once the fall gets here, we're going to, we're going to transition a little bit into some defense, but we won't get a good rhythm offensively. I would say until late September uh, with, with those three, you know, those three, three areas of transition, ball screen concepts, you know, flow, which is still concept decision driven. Um, it's going to take us till late September to really get a feel for that. So the part I want to highlight, which, which goes with conceptual offense that you talked about is you talked about the player not knowing if they made the right decision. And eventually it doesn't matter as long as the player behind them makes the right decision based on what they did. And that's the key part of conceptual offense when you start to see the players be able to read what their teammate did and play off of that, right? That's right. Yeah, the, the, guy, the guy behind, the guy in front, it, it's, they're going to have to play off of that. And, and we would rather – that's more reactive. Okay? That's, not, that's not initial split-second decision. That's, okay, I see a clear objective roll, so I know that I lift behind. I see a clear objective pop, so I know I stay. So you're reacting. whereas going to the decision on the front of that, do I, do I roll? Do I pop? Just make that as fast as you can. Okay. I'm going to give you a, a couple cues. If they're aggressive in ball screen coverage high, then yeah, 
going back to physics, okay, if they're high, we want to get under that. If they're low and more passive, yeah, we want to, we want to, we want to play against that, right? So we say, well, you know, always get this. Well, we don't want, you know, if we start popping a lot, man, they're going to, our fives are going to shoot a bunch of threes. Well, we don't, we don't pop for threes. We pop for second action, right? We pop for reversals to get to second action. So if they are playing the big and the logo, well, now let's see if you can get up to this handoff. And if you don't want to get off this handoff, well, I'm going to have a really good player come in in second action that's going to have an advantage. And so I don't want that, that player thinking, do I pop a roll? Okay. And, and I hear my assistants during the game, we're rolling too much. We're popping too much. One guy will say, roll. One guy will say, pop. Like, guys, calm down. Okay. Like, like it's just like investing, right? We just want diversity of assets. Like we just want to make sure, like give the defense as many different looks as we can and just have diversification. Okay. And make sure if we roll this one, pop the next. Okay. If we pop this one, roll the next, just give them different looks and don't let, don't let your offense create predictability that defense defenses know what's coming. Just continue to change up what you get. And if you don't get anything on this one, keep the ball moving, get it side to side, get to the next concept. And at some point, right, it's a game of tennis. Just let the defense make a mistake, and then let's see if we can get an open shot. People that listen to me know that we're, we're aligned on that five-on-five five piece, and I just want to add another, another point for coaches to, to think about, and that's the part that even if you do three-on-three three or four-on-four, four, which I get, small-sided game, you know, increased touches, reduced decisions, so we focus on a few things. The problem is they essentially have to relearn it when you put it back in five-on-five five anyways. If you do on-air breakdown, five-on-0, they have to relearn it five on five because it's completely different with the visual stimuli and the distracting info. So to your point, get right to the point. And even though it's messy over the long run, they're going to be able to seamlessly put it together better because you are connecting it right away. Yeah. And, and you know, we could get into just the, even the bioscience behind it. I mean, just, you know, the, the myelin and, and how our brain works and the neurological processes of learning. We, we, Personally, like I want that deep practice. I, I want them on the edge of thought of, you know, that that area of like, I have to be so focused right here that if I'm not, I'm it's gonna turn out really bad. Right. And I don't like and and that's where five on oh, we do five on oh. Not gonna say we don't. I do think there is a there is a elementary piece of just calming the brain a little bit to just it's almost like a warm-up, you know, like, hey, let's move it around just so we know those. But in order to really get on the edge and to say, hey, all right, now. I got to know this and I got a guy that's guarding me. Okay. And then I got four other guys guarding and I got to read all this at the same time. Well, that's putting you into deep practice and that's helping those neurological processes, you know, basically create the circuits so that you can make that decision better or faster. And, and so we do, I mean, we, we try to create as much control chaos as we can. And, and I think it's a benefit to the player. And I think our, I think our players learn because of it, it might not look as pretty, you're not going to want to come in. I mean, I remember when I was an assistant, um, and, and I say this in all due respect, because, I mean, I would say out of all coaches I've watched, Rick Bird, I've watched as much, if not more than any coach in the country. Okay? Like, I love Rick Bird. And, and so when I say this, I want to be clear in my respect, but Mark Price was on his staff, and Mark Price and I are good friends. And Coach Bird let me come to practice when I was an assistant. They were preparing to go play Virginia in the tournament. And I went up there for a couple of days and um, Chris, I mean, it was, it was all five on five. I mean, it was just like, there was some five on O, but I mean, Hey, we're going to do this. And there was a couple of breakdowns and like, but I would say, I would say 65% of the practice was five on five play. And there were different, 
purposes and points and there were different emphasis and hey, here's what we're trying to do here and here's what we're trying to get here. But at the end of the day, like he's practicing the game and the game is what needs to be practiced. We, I, I have no desire to perfect drills if they don't have great translations to the game. And I challenge our staff on it when they bring me a drill. That's great. You know, I like it. But are we, you got to show me where this situation is going to happen in a game. And as long as that situation is going to happen in a game, then I'm all for replicating that. But if it's not, I have no interest. That's great. And uh, you do reference that, too, in, in, in support of how you teach is that, you know, the on air or the five on O or the different types of breakdown drills you do are in support of players getting that foundation from which they can become more free. And without that, it's really hard to become free, especially if it's a complex type of action. The on-air helps them understand the structure from which freedom would come. So I'm glad that you've connected that too. That's exactly right. I mean, they have to, they have to be able to replicate it enough to where they know what to do on the front end. Um, if they don't know what to do when they get in the chaos and you haven't given them the tools to be able to make the correct decision and how to execute it, then yeah, I mean, they're, they're not, you know, you, you have to be able to build it in a way where you don't overwhelm them. And so you're going to like for us, you know, we do skill all year. I mean, you're going to see skill 365 or not the off days, but every day that Furman basketball is working on something. It doesn't matter if it's February. It doesn't matter if it's October or July. We're going to work on skill. And our skill is usually our system. Our system is usually our skill. The two go hand in hand. And what it does is I can go out there today and I can work on hand cut back cut reads. And we can work on the finishes with the back cut and we can work on the shots and the drives and the plays off the hand cut. But at the same time, so we're developing all that skill, but I'm not going to go out there and put them in some concept that we don't ever do. Like we're going to, we're going to have a guy at the top of the key and we're going to dribble at the corner defender and we're going to hand cut back at it. And, and, and we might have zero defense out there to just get those reps of these. This is how we want to execute it when you do make this decision. But I, I, I want to make sure like we only have so much time. And so if I can maximize our time and I can blend different elements together, I can blend skill and system. I can blend as many things together as I possibly can. Then I think it goes back to where we started this whole thing. We can develop player program at a little bit faster rate, which is what we're all trying to do. Absolutely. And uh, you've mentioned it a few times, RPO, and I mentioned it once. So let's talk about the roll pop option, uh, which I think is really cool. The different types of terminology and the, the teaching methodology that you use to teach that. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. Uh, I'm again, I, I love college football and I study college football a lot. Um, and, and so, you know, you hear RPO, RPO, and then I'm sitting there, you know, my first year, I'm like, man, I want to have the option to be at a roller pop. Like, I don't want to be able to say, Hey, we're popping this or we're rolling this. How do we create the decision-making for the player to be able to do it? And so almost all of our ball screen concepts have a roller pop option. In them. And it doesn't matter if it's a step up. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, we call the clear corner ball screen with three on the fence, a trips ball screen. Again, football trips formation, three, three to the outside. Um, an open ball screen is the four spread uh, with a five in the middle. An alley is the outside right there on the lane line. Like all of our ball screens, regardless of what we're doing, we can roll them or we can pop them. And then all the other players just have to know, OK, this is what he did. So this is how I have to react to it. But I think, again, it gives you flexibility. It gives those guys decisions. And, um, you know, we're, we're messing with this summer, the ability to auto short roll more. And, and because I think that that's something uh, versus certain coverages and with our personnel, um, I know the NBA does it a lot more than the college game, but it's something that we're even messing with. Okay, how do we know what to do in this situation? Because, again, it just goes, I think, 
I think players love making decisions. I mean, one thing when, when, when I speak, you know, more so offensive clinics, high school coaches, what's the right offense for you? The offense that your players will run when you're not there. Okay. So, you know, for years we would run an offense and then I always heard this, like, well, I hate watching pickup. You know, coaches would say, well, I hate watching pickup. Okay. Why do you hate watching pickup? Well, they, they, the way they play, is not the way we play. Well, I mean, I know it sounds like a, a simple thought. Well, maybe do they not like the way we play, you know, like what, what if, what if they played the way we played in pickup? Would, would, would you like pickup then? And so one of the things I like is like our kids love doing this so much. If they play pickup tonight, they're running They're Then they, they might get, get to all our flow. They're running all our concepts. They're running all our RPOs. They love it. I mean, because they're all touching the ball and the ball's moving. And so now you get to gain off a of pickup, right? Um, but at the, but with the RPO, the, 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 the hard part why coaches don't want to go to it a lot, which I understand, is they feel like that, hey, if you don't roll, you're not keeping a threat on the rim. Well, in every single pop we have, we have a, we have a rim threat behind it. Okay, so we're going to have a rim threat in conjunction with that pop. So we're not sacrificing the rim threat. We track rim threats in games. So that's a live stat. So if we are popping without a rim threat, well, yeah, I agree with you. You know, now we have a problem. If we're popping just to fire up threes by a 30% shooter, we have a real problem. But if you're clear, going back to truth, no, you don't shoot that shot. Okay, here's why. You're going to, you, we have some shooters where it's second half, second clock. So it has to be on the second, or I'm sorry, second half, second side. So it has to be on the second half of the shot clock and it has to be at least on the second side of the floor. Well, that's, that's a clear parameter. Okay, so we come down to court and we pop a step up. Well, that's not second side. That's not second half. Well, I don't shoot that. Well, now I got to go find action. Well, I popped it because my defender was in the paint. So now I'm going to dribble into a handoff that has no coverage on it. Well, that's good ball, you know? And so there's, there's this idea that like, well, if we start popping, we're going to shoot too many threes and we're not going to get as many rim threats. I would completely disagree with it. I think your players are going to have more fun with it. I think five men now in this day and age, they want to get into dribble handoffs. They want to go create action. But I think we have to give them the ability to go do that. And so if you statted all our pops, Chris, I would say our shooting threes off of those pops are pretty low. I, I would, I mean, I, I don't, I would, I would hesitate to guess the percentage, um, but I would say one out of 10, maybe. Uh, but man, they know that, hey, we're going to get to the ball to the next action. And usually that's where, that's where the fun starts. To find the, to find the action, you talk about that a lot too. Uh, is it generally into a handoff or can it be into you know, a pass be, and follow or yeah, we can, okay. yeah, we go, we, we can go into a throw and chase. Um, we, you know, either way, right. What, what's the defense giving us? So if the defense is more sloughed off and the receivers there, then throw and chase, get into a step up and play. And then we can RPO that one, right? Like, I mean, just think you got to step up on the side of the floor. You come off the step up attacking the baseline, you pop it. We're going to burn the top of the key there. That's our rim threat. Okay. Now we're going to throw across the floor and we're going to run into that in the slot on the other side of the floor. And now we're going to RPO that. And so he's going to come off. If I roll it, the guy behind me is going to lift. If I pop it, the guy in the corner is going to stay. And now I'm going to play out of the corner. Well, that's just concepts, but we just got the ball all the way around the arc. And, and so that's, that's, the type of, that's the type of game that I want to have produced. Uh, and I think it gives our players ultimate freedom. And I think we get to see better what the defense is doing. And then we teach if the defense, if this, then that, and then go play ball. Well, and the other part about conceptual offense that you hit a home run with is this idea of parameters or constraints for players. 
it's not complete freedom for every player. As you said, certain players have certain parameters that they can't shoot an early three, that it has to go to the second side and then second half type of situation. So coaches just note that because that's such a huge part of teaching conceptual offense. It doesn't mean everyone has equality of freedom for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's that's where you have to be really comfortable in conceptual offense of sitting your players down, giving them the truth. This is where you can score. This is where these is. These are going to be your opportunities. And, you know, we 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 just we use a lot of visual images that are simple. I really compare it to, to a fish in the ocean. OK, I'm going to give you the boundary of the water. And as long as you're in the boundary of the water, you can swim wherever you want. But as soon as you get on the sand, if you start convincing me that you're going to go play in the sand, like you, we just have to understand, like, that's not going to work out well. And, and then what is what is the water and what's the shore? And then where can where can we swim with that freedom? And then and then what are what are we not going to do? And and being comfortable in those conversations. And um, and so that's that's kind of the visual of what we we want absolute freedom as long as it's inside our boundary. And um, and and if they do that, usually it works out pretty well. Coach, so many cool things. I'm so glad you're sharing these. Uh, one thing I wanted to get into a little bit is this concept of the porch, just mainly the phrasing of it, but also the reality of the way that you play with the post is not this deep post up because that really doesn't happen as much in the game anymore, but that you turn your post into uh, a decision maker in so many ways to be able to run grenades and different things out of the post as well. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if Shaq showed up at Furman tomorrow, I promise you we, we'd be playing with deep post touches, deep seal. <laughs> but, but it's, it's one of those situations where I had Matt Rafferty in my first couple of years, who was unbelievable player, unbelievable passer, just saw the game, high school quarterback, and I was just figuring out how to try to maximize that. And um, I felt like, you know, if we could open up the paint and, and really open up some cutting and get some movement that could really just keep defenses off balance, do we load up to this or do we stay out? And then us having built in uh, offense to what we do if they load up versus what we do if they stay out. And so it's, it's really, you know, open paint. Um, you're going to, you, you have to have an open corner to be able to do it. If the post sees the open corner in transition and he wants to run to what we call the porch, which is really just kind of a, a gray area of the short corner, um, in between the block and the three point line, he can run into that area. And if the ball can find it quick, that's, that's usually when it's the best concept. And really once the, once the guard throws it to him, then the guard has multiple options. I mean, he, he can, he can burn through and cut the paint. Uh, he can come off for a handoff right there. Uh, he can go screen the top, and then we can get we can get to kind of a split game right there at the top. And and then the post has to just read it. And and some obviously it's again there's a lot of freedom in it. You know one of one of the hard parts about it is a lot of times we have to tell these players that this is a passing point, not a scoring point. But if it turns into a scoring point, you know we want to be unpredictable here. So if they think we're passing every time out of it. OK, then then all of a sudden they're going to stay out and you're going to be in a mess. If they think you're going to score every time out of it, they're going to load you up and it's going to be a mess. So Matt was so good at being able to really see, OK, is the defense committing? Is the defense, you know, staying out and then basically playing off that? Um, you know, we would let we let that guy dribble as much as he wants. If, if he can if he can Barkley down and take it all the way to the basket, uh, we we don't stop that. You know, it, it all comes down to does a second defender come in the area? The second defender doesn't come in the area, Barkley all the way down and try to find a scoring opportunity. As soon as a second def defender comes, then now you got to figure out where that help's coming from. 
And then once you look at somebody on the perimeter, then that signal is to cut. And so once there's eye contact at that point, we're cutting and the paint's open. And basically the post is saying, hey, I don't have a scoring opportunity here because they're loading me. So now we're going to hit the cutter. We're going to throw behind the cutter. And the good thing about it is, and, and this all bleeds together, right? It's not like what we're talking about in the porch is the same thing we're going to talk about with our split game. It's the same thing we're going to talk about with our RPOs. It's the same thing we're going to talk about in our drift action. All this stuff has common, common theme through it to where it's a different spot of the floor, but they're not having to have different type thought, right? Like the thought and the reads are similar. We're just putting the ball in a different spot on the floor. And then depending on who we're playing against and what the matchups are and what the advantages are, we'll highlight different parts of the floor depending on that game and that night. So Barkley is a side dribble back in, uh, could be turning a drive into a post up and backing a player in. Uh, it's not a butt back in, and that's the key part of that. And uh, I've seen your team use it a lot, and many, many teams use this. Uh, the part I want to come back to a little bit is even maybe we'll use the roll pop option as the easiest one. Let's talk about the decision to set the screen and roll versus set the screen and pop. What are the cues? Because you've talked about that. You've already installing the ball screen reads and decisions. What are some cues that you can give coaches to think about to give their players? So the number one for me starts with diversification. Okay, I, I just I want to incorporate balance in the game. If we set 20 ball screens, I would love to pop 10 and roll 10 because I just feel like that's going to create the most different. It's, it's going to make us multiple. Okay, now that's that's one. Now, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give these guys cues in terms of maybe it's scouting, uh, maybe it's personnel related, maybe it's ball screen coverage related. Um, and so for me, one of the easiest ones to help them, if they commit to high early coverage, like we're going to separate, right? So as soon as coverage is committed, we're separating. So it's not, I got to go up here and hit this guy's shoulder and make contact and stay and knock this guy out. If they show early aggressive coverage. So equal and opposite reaction, if they're going to come aggressive high, we're going to separate low. Okay. So is that a roll? Is that a short roll? Well, we got to figure that out. Is that a slip? Is that a slant? Whatever it is, we want to get away from that coverage so that we can get the ball out and we can play that advantage. If they're playing low, okay, and they're dropping and they're keeping the big in the paint, I want to pop those because now I think the advantage is to go get that, to pull that guy out. And if he doesn't want to come out, okay, then at some point, I just think if the big's not going to come in support and you can get into a second ball screen, second handoff, and he's staying low, I think that's when you're really going to have a lot of fun. So if, if he's high, we want to get low. If he's low, we want to play high. We don't want to play high just to shoot. We want to play high to get the ball to the second side of the floor, and we want to get it out quick. Th that would be the easiest. Those two things are going to be the most important. We'll get into technicalities and scouting. We'll get into some different situations with personnel. Um, but, but I would say that would be, if you're talking about a hundred percent of the value, I would say that's going to be, those two items are about 70, 75% of what's going to go into that decision. Tremendous, tremendous stuff. And, uh, you talked about diversification. We diversified this podcast with so many different areas that we went. And I'm so grateful for that because I think we got a great impression of you as a coach, but also your program and what you're trying to do. So I cannot thank you enough for sharing the game with us. Well, Chris, I, I listen to almost all of your podcasts. I, I think, you know, I think this is one of the best ones out there. And um, I got to see you in my first year at Florida, do your clinic. And um, you did a phenomenal job and just respect, you know, how much you seek wisdom and knowledge of the game and how much you share it. So 
Uh, I got a lot more out of this than you did. I can assure you, I appreciate you having me on. And uh, it was absolutely my pleasure. Thanks, Coach. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and to give the Basketball Podcast and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things Basketball Immersion, subscribe to our newsletter at basketballimmersion.com newsletter. Thank you.